All right, John chapter 17, the prayer of Jesus. We're almost done with that prayer. We're, we're going to back it up and start in verse 20. <laughs> I love the voices of children, the children. I've, I've been to churches recently where there weren't children's voices, and you know it's a, it's a dead church. Um, it's it's going to gray out. Now, we're only about a third of our, present, our normal strength, so I don't know how many people are traveling and how many people having to work the, the festival, but thank you for scattering yourself throughout the entire auditorium. That's so helpful. Um, John chapter 17, and I'm getting too Scottish, so let me back out of that. Uh, John 17, verse 20. He's been praying, and it seems like he's praying for his apostles, but here's the point where you need to hit it and then reverse and go back. My prayer is not for them only. I pray for also for all those who believe in me through their message. That's the genetic tree, the spiritual genetic tree that leads to you. He is praying about you in the garden. Now, I don't think he was praying about you in a general sense. I think he was really praying about you. Because he's God, he can have a lot of things in his head at one time. He can see the whole picture at one time. And so when he's praying for all who will believe on me through their word, he is thinking about you sitting here this morning. Isn't that something? The Jews um, use this technique in stories a lot more than we do. But it's the idea of where when you get to the end, or you get near the end, something happens which changes everything which has happened before. Now, it's not a perfect example, but uh, The Sixth Sense was one of those movies where when you watched it, you thought you were seeing one story, and at the end, you realized you'd seen a different story, and you needed to back up and do it again. There are, the Jews love to do that, and by the way, parables. Uh, are that kind of story, but with a delayed effect. You're supposed to go and, and ruminate on those, and then finally you see something in front of you, and we call those aha stories. There was a, a man that uh, I trained in his, his school for, for a long time in his group, Milton Erickson, uh, that was a psychiatrist, and I could tell you so many stories of his. But he worked with hypnosis and the like, and he was, uh, has done an amazing amount of work. Uh, he's passed on a long time now, though. But he would not do what the others would do. Uh, they would do these, these long, complicated therapies, and instead he would listen to the patient and then tell them a story. And the story sometimes doesn't seem to make any sense. And then they would call him a couple of weeks later and say, it just hit me what you were saying. And I learned to love those stories. And so you can look up stories about him. And I called those aha stories. Jesus here in this prayer is just doing a very Jewish thing. He's hitting something which changes everything that came before. So I would suggest that you go back and read John 17 and realize every time he's praying for his disciples, that means you. The, the Churches of Christ, as a religious movement, uh, split into three different entities. And there are sub groups in there, but three major uh, splits for a variety of reasons. Churches of Christ, then you had the independent Christian churches, and then the disciples of Christ. 
Those are all springing from the same 1809 document from Thomas Campbell and the whole concept of unity in Christ. They would have all been one group when this church was established. Well, I just came back from Louisiana where people from those three plus a community church meet with me every year at this time. We, we do a few days together and it's a brilliant, brilliant experience for me. I hope it's good for them. Must be because they keep bringing me back in. That said, Alexander Campbell wanted us to be called the disciples. He loved the term disciples of Christ because disciples means what? Do you know? Followers. So we're in process. We're on the road. We're asking, seeking, knocking. And he believed that Christians should be called disciples as a group because that's who we are. It was Barton W. Stone. His group were known as the Christians. And that began to take precedence. And so a lot of our churches were called Christian churches. And in fact, in Indiana, Kentucky, um, some of the around Ohio, you can still go into a community where a church of Christ is really a Christian church and a Christian church is really a church of Christ because they never messed, they never changed their names. They're all Christians. So I'm not trying to panic kiss anybody here. Here's what I'm saying. Jesus is saying from the very first, be with my followers, be with my followers, be with my followers, and then he includes you here. Before he died, Jesus talked to his father about you. That should be significant to you. And what was his main idea? Let them be one. Whenever I go to work with troubled churches, one of the things that I do is say, if I were to tell you it's time for you to be unified with all believers, what is your reaction? And the more objections I get, the more distance between them and Jesus. And, and by the way, objections are almost a, a reflex here, aren't they? It's just like, whoa, 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 whoa. I, what, what about them? And Jesus doesn't do that here. If our first response is that it can't happen because of or until they, then we might be battling against Jesus's interest rather than joining him. When he said, for example, in the Lord's Prayer, let thy will be done on earth as well as it is in heaven, we get to every day either help answer that prayer or frustrate it. Um, and I will not name the man. I have no intention or, or desire to shame the man at all. But there's a man that does attack me and attacks a lot of people. And he does it sincerely. He believes that where he is is exactly where God wants us to be. And it just kind of, um, I, I blocked him on Facebook a long time ago because I was just, I'm, I'm done with it. You know, I, I'm done with this. But some of my friends still engage with him. And again, he has spent his entire life uh, in the churches of Christ, and he really wants to save souls, and I do not think he's a bad guy. The Christian Chronicle got a letter from him recently and posted it on their website, if you go look, where he was taking them to task because they were pushing denominationalism. If you don't know, the Christian Chronicle is kind of like a monthly newspaper for churches of Christ. It doesn't do doctrine or teaching as such. It'll do some book reviews and some, here's what's happening in Tanzania, here's what's happening in Detroit, that sort of thing. And it's a good thing. 
even though for 20 years they cannot understand that Patrick A. Mead is the same as Patrick Mead, and I get two every month. Doesn't matter how many times you call or email, you might get a third, so just leave it alone. Anyway, he wrote them a long, detailed letter that he was offended by their use of the term Church of Christ with a capital C on church because that indicates we're a denomination and it should be a little C, and it went on and on and on, and my head just started hitting the desk. If we have that mindset, we will never be united, ever. You're going to have to put up with people doing things you don't care for. You're going to have to, be put, you're going to, have to put up with people who worship God in a way that you don't. I'll never forget it. I mean, it was a shock to me, but it was a very important and necessary shock. Uh, in, in Rochester, where we were for 10 years, we had a, a, a good percentage, not as big as I'd like, but a good percentage of African-Americans attending. And I talked to uh, some of them, and well, I talked to all, we were friends, but there was something that just pushed me once to go over and talk. And, and I said, I really want you to know how much we appreciate you hearing your voice here. The man looked at me and he goes, we're here because of the love here and the teaching. And I said, well, well, good. And he goes, but we're not here about the worship because it just, it doesn't do a thing for us. And I was a bit offended, shocked, whatever you want to do, because I thought we were perfect in every way. <laughs> what are you talking about? And, and here's what really got me. And I said, um, what? what is it about it that's not, and he said, I don't want to be a complainer. He said, it's just so white. Well, okay, what does that mean? And you know, again, my ignorance is overflowing at this stage. So, I'm, I'm, and, but I'm open. And so I, I asked, could we, could we get uh, African-Americans to come meet with me in my office? And we, we had it packed, but not all of them came. I think it was 20 or 30 of them came. And they were all nodding about that, saying, it is so white, the songs are awful. And they're just, and I'm going, what, what do we do? And they said, well, we don't know what you can do. And I said, well, what if, what, can you teach us any of your songs? And, and everybody said, no, no, they can't. They're not singers. And I said, we're, we're stuck. We had to intentionally work on, I had a rule with my staff, no monochrome Sundays we got to get the voices of African-Americans up there. We only had a, a few Latinos, and they left uh, with jobs. And so I was going, no. So uh, we, we uh, had a few Asian folk, but I said, we've got to hear the voices, and they've got to show us uh, what we can do to include them. And to be, to be very honest, we never got there. We tried. And I, we didn't lose anybody, because I think the African-American brothers and sisters saw we were concerned, but we didn't know how to do it. And we were still in dialogue. Now their worship minister is an African-American, and so I'm hoping that, that they, things have gotten better. My whole point is, when I go to an African-American church, I often feel a little out of place. I'm not really sure what's happening. I imagine that they would look upon this as devoid of emotion, um, ritualistic, and the like. Have you ever been to Africa? And they're, 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 I cannot do it. I really, that, la, 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 that thing with the, the, the uvula in the back, it's going, and, 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 and I love that, but I'll never be able to do it or understand when it's time to do it. Again, being white, uh, I'm not opposed to spontaneity. I just want it well planned with a, a definite beginning and ending point. 
So I, I, I don't know what to do there. People, I'm so white. If, if a Scotsman marries a Norwegian, their kids are clear. So we can always find ways to divide. Why go there? Instead of I mean, Ollie yesterday, little Ollie, uh, and his brothers come home from the games, and his brothers immediately get out the hockey sticks because they're, they're a big Preds fan, and they got the mask on and all the other, and, and, and I don't say, you know, I'm not really into hockey. No, if this is what they're doing, this is what I'm doing. Now, yeah, that gets exhausting, especially when Ollie found a jump rope, and he goes, here, and I went, I don't really need a jump rope at this point in my life, and he goes, no, do it, 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 do it. Do it, do it, do it. This goes on for some time. So, yes, you should have seen. I did it, and I was, I, was, I was a gazelle. I was a gazelle. It was a thing of beauty and grace. It was amazing. As I'm doing it, dying, he's over there just kind of jumping a little bit, thinking he's in it. I didn't say, no, I don't do jump rope. What are you talking about? That's forget. No, I want to fellowship with him. I've got to find ways to meet him. I don't say, hey, you want to do what Granda likes to do? Let's sit in the recliner and read. My dad used to pull that. He said, let's do a game. Let's see who can be quiet longest. What a stupid game. If I'm willing to do that because I, am, I feel that relationship is that important, why aren't we willing to do things for our brothers and sisters in Christ? That we'll, we'll flex, we'll move a bit. What, what can we do to be united? And I mentioned a while ago the 1809 document, um, that's the, the uh, Declaration and Address written by C Thomas Campbell. You can see it online in its original form, in its expanded form, and then in a, a uh, novel statin, novel, who names a kid novel? K-N-O-F-E-L, statin, uh, S-T-A-T-O-N wrote a modern language version of it, which is actually quite good. There's a line in there that says, we may meet in different places, but we will still be in fellowship. And it goes on to talk about the fact, my worship might be uncomfortable for you and yours for me, but we're still brothers and sisters. We can do this separately if we need to. That makes sense to me, but... I, uh, this prayer, it matters to me that he prayed about this before he died. That just matters to me. He says, I have given them, remember that's us too, the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are, I and them and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. There's a thin space. Thin please. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. When will the world know that Jesus is the Son of God? When the disciples live in unity. Not until. It, has that ever been used against you by non-believers? Christianity is too divisive. If there's really a God, why are they? Yep, the devil's going to use that every time. When we can live together, and in fact, the Bible talks about how beautiful it is when we live together in unity. Okay. Um, let's do it. It's going to be hard, but we can do it. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, 
the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, that the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you've sent me. I've made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. This is a thin space. Where, where he says, I've made you known to them, in the oldest manuscripts, it says, I've made your name known to them. Now, that's very, very important in their culture. Not so much, in our, well, not at all in ours, really. Although it's really nice when somebody remembers our name. That's nice. It is not the same thing. Back in this time, you often had a few names, and there are still gr many groups that do this, but you have a secret name, and that secret name is given to you It's your family name. It's, it's something that is a private thing. And in those days, they believed that if you knew somebody's name, you knew them. You had their secrets. You had their power. You know, maybe even power over them. Well, Jesus isn't suggesting anything of the sort here. What he's saying is God hasn't held back from us. He's given us what we need to know. And when I was a boy, I did ask questions. And there were times that my mother, God bless her, um, would say, I'd say, why didn't God tell us about this? And she would say, he must not have thought we needed to know it. And I'm going, I wanted to know it. We, it's not something we needed to know. That's hard. There are a lot of things in this universe I'd like to know about that I don't. But he's told you what you need to know. You need to know what you need to know about God. And we, we know that. And I love this. That what he wants, when, when, when Jesus' prayer is answered, we are going to love the way that the Father loves the Son, and the Son loves the Father, and the Son loves us. We're going to love that. When that love is made perfect, then we are united, and the world will know. The world will know. Um, what about the end of the world? Well, or the renewal of the world when God makes it heaven, however, however you want to go at this thing. What about the end of time? Let's, let's play with it that way. I don't know. Uh, the Bible says that God knows when it's going to occur. That might not be a date. It might be a situation. When I was growing up, I always thought it was a date. And you have people trying to find a date all the time, don't you? Uh, and, and they always fail, but they always find people to buy the book when they, write, when they go again. I have a feeling that it's more about a situation when we get to here, when we have done this, then he comes back. Um, Alexander Campbell felt the same way as well, one of the founders of this church, uh, he, or this congregation, he, uh, his first paper was even called Millennial Harbinger. He believed that once we were unified in Christ, Christ would come back. And then, of course, the unity, he, he was not able to pull that off with everybody. When I say it may not be a date or a situation, let me give an example of what I mean there. Let's say my daughter came to me when she was still my daughter and said, oh, she's always my daughter, what was that stupid? Uh, she's still my daughter, but when she was still a kid and said, when can I date? Do I give her a date? Some of you foolishly do. You give them a framework when you're 16. Eh, 
pull back, pull back. Instead, say, I'll know. Do you understand what I mean? I know, I'll know when it's time for you to date. Same with driving. Can I drive now? When, when do I get, I'll know when you're ready for that. As parents, we understand that might not be a date on a calendar. That might be a response and a way that they are responding. And then going, you can do this. And that's the way we raised our kids. We did it that way. We didn't put dates on calendars. We said, when this occurs, then this occurs. Uh, and, and it worked. And I, I really feel this way with him. We've, the reason Jesus hasn't come back yet is because we haven't done our job. Jesus even worried that we might not. Do you remember when he sighed and said, when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on earth? Now, that's scary. We always talk about that, you know, we're going to do this right. Well, now here's a, here's, here's a, a, a tripwire. I, I don't want anybody to trip over People hear this, they think this, and I think it's correct, um, but we can always differ. The, uh, and then they think, oh, we, we must, we must, we must, and then they fill in that blank, because that's what Jesus wants us to do. We must care for the poor, obviously. We must love our brothers and sisters in other churches. I think so, yeah. We must, but then they focus on the one. And then they drive the one. And if that, their passion is not your passion, then they get angry and division hits. Um, let's remember passions vary. I've learned this through the years that my passion and worship leaders' passions rarely track. Now, with Mark, Mark is amazing. Never, never had a guy whose instincts were as sharp as his. And who frankly, is quite humble about it and builds teams uh, that works with it. And, and I love, Keith, whenever you lead, because you always do team-based. It's never the Keith show, ever. It, it's always, and, and I, I've just, I've remarked about that several times to you, but also to Cammie, just driving home going, that was really cool, the way that he built this. But sometimes I'll go off and do youth rallies when I'm supposed to be up at, oh, let's say 10, and I get up at 10.35 because the worship leader can't count. And he'll say one more time, and he didn't mean it. Kind of like the exercise lady at the gym didn't mean it when she said five more. Now 10 more. And I'm thinking, no, Susie, you said we could stop. I'm holding you to your word here. Like I ever go to a gym. I got tired filling out the form. I had to go home and rest. So, that's the thing about gym membership. When you join, you actually have to go there, evidently. You can't just send the check. That's just, not having that. Who has time for that? People say, I, I have a good friend who goes, I like to go and work up a big sweat. I said, well, I'll bring you to a, an elders meeting. We, we, can, we can do that. Their passion is not my passion. Now, they're singing praise to God. Should I be sitting there seething in the pew? Oh, let me tell you, that's easy to do. I'm a seether. I, I, am, I am talented in the seething area. Uh, you can, if you need lessons, I teach. I have to just kick myself in the head constantly saying, stop it, stop it, stop it. They're singing praise to God. 
And God seems to like it because he hasn't killed anybody on the stage. So, and God might be poking you for a reason. When our passions don't align, we have to be very careful. We don't use that as a, a split. Okay. Anything you want to say about the prayer? Because we we're about to leave it when we hit chapter 18. I'm not going to be able to see hands because you... <laughs> and those of you in the balcony made you look. They're not up there. Um, when he had finished praying, Jesus left with his disciples and crossed the Kidron Valley. On the other side, there was a garden, and he and his disciples went into it. By the way, um, you could go into gardens there. You, you could glean. It's not trespassing at all. There, um, there are some countries, like Scotland, has no trespassing laws. Um, if you want to walk across there, you, you can. Uh, you, you can walk, cut across that field and have a picnic on that property. There, we don't have trespassing laws. Um, they, here you would go to gardens, and I didn't really, I understood it, but I never really got it until I experienced it in Key West. I was in Key West at a time when the temperature was approximately 180 degrees. Small cats were spontaneously combusting. And uh, I was there because it was part of a trip, and we were supposed to look at things and be impressed by them. And, and, and I'm Mr. Cynical, but I do my best. But every time we would walk into or close to a house, like um, Hemingway's house or the like, you'd walk into the garden. It was shocking to me, and I know, duh, I should know this, but it was shocking to me how much the temperature dropped. When you just walked in the shade and you were around the plants, it was just like, whoa, this is amazing. Well, no wonder then Jesus finds gardens for his people. No wonder that Nebuchadnezzar built the hanging gardens of Babylon for his wife who was used to a green country and had married him. And it was one of the great wonders of the ancient world, so we don't have any pictures of it, but evidently it went up like, I don't know, seven or eight stories and had water and gardens all around to, to give her that peace, and that would have been something to see. So, that's your garden. He went into the garden. Now, Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. So Judas came to the garden, guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and the Pharisees. They were carrying torches, lanterns, and weapons. Now, why weapons? Well, because they're soldiers, for one, but also because they don't know what's going to happen. Jesus has done stuff, has he not? Not violence, but if you can raise people from the dead and give sight to the blind and stuff, you might be able to pull off a fireball or something, right? Uh, in fact, the apostles even had wanted that at one stage. So they don't know what's going to happen. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them. Now, really get this. Here are the disciples resting in the garden. Jesus knows it's coming. He doesn't tell the lads, brace yourselves. No. He walks away from them. Last week, I was out in my yard doing uh, a little bit of uh, yard work, and a robin started just chittering. Oh, and I turned around, and she went to the ground, and she kind of fluttered up and down around the corner of my house, and I thought, she has a nest here. She's acting like she's wounded. 
She's acting like she's hurt to draw me away from her family. That's what birds do. And I, I find that an amazing, sweet thing. Um, so I, I get that. I've seen animals in the wild that will feign being limp to get you away from a den. And I'm going, wow. You know, that's, that's love amongst the furry ones, I guess, and the featheries. Jesus walks out. He's protecting them. He's not leading the detachment at his people. Who is it you want, he says. Jesus, and by the way, I find that an interesting question because usually what Jesus asks is, where are you? Now, it's who do you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I am he, Jesus said. And Judas the traitor was standing there with them. When Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Now, think about this for a bit, shall we? Jesus wasn't the, and I'm sorry, but there's just no other way to put it, effeminate-looking creature we see in the paintings. He was the son of a carpenter, maybe, more likely son of a stonemason is what that word means, which meant his hands would have been scarred and calloused. He would have had muscles from lifting. He might not have been very pretty. Remember, Isaiah tells us um, um, his face, we hid, as it were, his face from us because we did not consider him beautiful. So here's a rough and ready guy that's standing around all these fishermen and the like, they wouldn't be able to pick him out. They brought Judas to point him out. He steps out. They just think he's a big guy there, I guess. Remember when he cleared the temple? Nobody stopped him. That's a very odd thing because the temple had an armed guard. They were the Green Berets of the day, really. And they didn't mess with them. But Jesus, and, I, and again, I want you to change your picture of Jesus. Um, I have, years ago, somebody brought me a book by a little boy that died and went to heaven. And uh, there are several of those books, so it may not be the one you're thinking of. And he, uh, he knew what Jesus looked like, and so he had an artist, and they, they worked together. And, and the man that brought me this book was just so thrilled. He was so happy and had all the paintings of, of heaven that this little boy had seen. And here's Jesus, and it's Kenny Loggins. It, it's Kenny Loggins. So I'm all right. Nobody worry about him. It was so, I was looking at that. And even the blow dry, the feathering. And I'm going, that's inside. Outside is going, oh, isn't that interesting? Uh, which I meant tragic, tragic. But uh, I said Interesting. We don't know what he looks like. I, I don't know what happened to the little boy, and I don't know what he saw, but it, it wasn't this guy. This is a first century Jew that was rough. And when he, he walks up, remember when he stands up uh, with the woman in, caught in adultery? Everything backs up with the stones. We, we begin to stop at this stage. He steps up, and who, who are you looking for? We're looking for Jesus. And now you're going to see him looking around, and we're looking for Jesus. And he goes, that's me. This Bible says they fell down trying to get away from him. Have you ever turned around and said something sharpish to somebody and then saw their size and regretted it? Oh, I, I have. I know, this is a bet. It's going to be hard for you to deal with, but here we go. Sometimes my mouth works before my brain. And I was across going to University of Alabama in Birmingham because they had the great criminal justice program, and that's what I, I'd started off to work in. Uh, I loved it, had a great time, but uh, during one of the breaks, we all hit the Coke machines for sugar, caffeine, you gotta, you, you gotta get there. So, 
I'm at the, I still, and I'm, I'm putting my coin, and somebody bumped me and, and knocked me to the point where I don't think I actually made contact with the machine, but I, I came really close. And I had some words, and I turned around, and oh, my goodness, that was a big person. I think I saw Jesus twice before that encounter was over. I had, um, uh, as they would say in some places, written a check that could not be cashed with, the, with what I had, my present equipment. That's happened to me a few times. I hope I'm over it now. But I find that just to be an amazing story. And look, again he asked them, who is it you want? They wanted an easy day. They wanted a pushover. They wanted, uh, they wanted this rabbi, and they got Jesus. One of the hardest things, I, I, I remind myself of this constantly, and you, maybe this will be of use to you. That Patrick, it is no use wanting the God you want. You have got to deal with the God who is. You've got to deal with the God you've got. Now, if you don't know that, that's a universal hunger. You know where you can see that hunger? Go to the movies. Regardless of which DC, Marvel, or which way you go, all superheroes are an attempt at a God we really want. We want a God that's like Superman that will stop. We want that will spin around in reverse time even. Uh, as he did in one movie and, and in some of the books. We want a Wonder Woman who would stop us and not allow us to do World War I. We want all of this. And so we create these superhero characters to fill the role of the God we wish we had. There's a new book out, and I've forgotten the title, but I'll get it for you, which um, basically says your superhero will not save you. And it looks at all of this. It's coming out this week, I think. It may have already been out. Um, I think it's this week, but it's a whole concept, and it looks at all of these different movies and says this is universal longing of the human mind for, the, for a different God, not the God we have. Jesus, once again, who are you looking for? Jesus of Nazareth, they said. Jesus answered, I told you, I am he. If you're looking for me, then let these men go. Jesus, like a robin around the corner, let's draw them away. I'll take it. This happened so that the words he had spoken would be fulfilled. I have not lost one of those you gave me. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword. Let's stop right there. <laughs> Luke actually has one verse about this. If you remember, we looked at that when we looked there. Uh, we've not gone through it in great detail. Where he told them they could have swords. In fact, they might need swords. One guy had two. He said, that's enough. You know, how many hands you got, dude? He, that last bit he didn't say. No, he just said, that's enough. Uh, Peter was still carrying a sword. Jesus did not want them to use the sword as an offensive weapon, not to use the sword to defend him, not to use the sword to spread Christianity. It was a last resort to defend the helpless and the weak. And Peter didn't get that. Peter didn't get that. You, you know, I have firearms. I know people that have firearms... Um, who I'm not sure I wish, I don't think they should have them, but I don't have that kind of power. Constitution allows, fair enough. But it's kind of like, it's kind of like, if you ever served in the military, there are guys 
that are there to protect and serve and that guys to learn a skill. And there are other people who just can't wait to shoot somebody. Don't be around them. They will draw fire. And fire is indiscriminate. So, again, they weren't pacifist. Um, this, but it doesn't mean that they wanted to use swords on people. And in fact, watch this. He had a sword, drew it, and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. When I was a kid, I asked the teacher, I said, why do you aim for the ear? And she didn't know. Well, I learned later, they would wear caps. And often the leather caps and the like, when you hit with a sword, it would just slide and come and get the ear. And that's probably what, he was probably going for a kill. And hit, moved, and he got the ear instead. So, the servant's name was Malchus. They bring it up. I don't know why we need to know that, but it's kind of cool. Ollie would probably ask me, so I need to know it. Jesus commanded Peter, put your sword away. Notice what he, the, in the old versions, it said, put your sword back into its place. He didn't say, what? You got a sword? Haven't you heard anything? Come on, people. We're all lambs in peace here. He didn't say that. So, let's not go so far as to say people can't have their weapon. He said, put it away. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? So why was the sword to be put away? Because you are not to stop what's about to happen to me. But he didn't say throw it away because there are going to be some things coming at them. And there are going to be innocents as one very decorated Marine who is as quiet and as humble as Mr. Gentry told me. He said, I, and I, I, this was not original. I've now found that other people have said it. He said, I do not carry a weapon because I hate those who are in front of me. I carry a weapon because I love those who are behind me. And that made sense to me. If you're a pacifist, I know you have arguments against that. I've heard them, and I do think they are valid. I think that they are very worth hearing. I don't think we're going to settle this issue. But Jesus said, no, I've got to go through this. You cannot stop this. Do you remember that Peter told him ahead of time he would stop it? When Jesus said he had to give himself, and he was, Peter's going, I'm, no, you're not going to die. And he said, get thee behind me, Satan. And no, don't, you cannot stop this. This has to go further. Then the detachment of soldiers with its commander and the Jewish officials arrested Jesus. They bound him and brought him first to Annas, who was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest that year. That's interesting. And we're going to start with that next week uh, because... They, why did they go to Annas? Hmm. And something late-breaking news about Caiaphas. So we'll start with that next week. All right? Enjoy the festival or enjoy trying to get out of it.